Thank you for joining us here on Radioactive Magazine. You are listening to 90.1 FM KKFI Kansas City Community Radio. This is Craig Lubo, and today I have, um, his name is Donnie Tran. Tran, and he and Landon, and Donnie, can you tell us how you pronounce Landon's name? Absolutely. It's uh, Landon Mascarenas. All right. So Mm -hmm. they are the co-authors of a book relating to transforming the educational system and empowering communities. They talk about in the book how the schools are failing, some of the common denominators in that, and offer some solutions. They talk about the difference between an open and closed system. So, Donnie, if you can tell us in general what the book is about, and then we'll get into some specifics. Absolutely. Uh, Well, first, let me just say thank you so much for having me on this evening. And I know that Landon uh, desperately wishes he could be here, but he is stuck in in some kind of tr- uh, travel purgatory that prevents him, unfortunately, from joining us. Uh, and I am just so excited to be a part of this conversation with the Kansas City community. Um, and so, uh, first off, let me just share a little bit about um, the how we define an open versus a closed system. Uh, a closed system is an education, is a system that is not open and responsive to the information stimuli uh, that is coming from communities. Mm -hmm. Every school and every district is embedded in a community and a network of people. And for too long, we've really walled off schools from and, and districts from the communities that they are meant to serve. That means that the information that comes from the community, the insights, the expertise aren't really honored, valued, acknowledged, even brought in in a meaningful way. And by contrast, an open system is one where the school or the district or even the state is really receptive and there's a transfer of information, knowledge, expertise, and energy between the community and the traditional school system. And we've done work across the country uh, with a number of different schools and districts and states that show us uh, and have shown us what it can look like when when districts and educational systems approach their communities really differently. Tell us what are the benefits then of creating an open system and how do you create the open system? Oh, it's such a great question, Greg. Thank you. The, you know, one of the things that I often say when I'm addressing a group of leaders in schools and districts or states is that systems don't change without commitment of everybody within it and around it. And so if commitment is required, then commitment fundamentally requires consent. It requires the consent of the people uh, that have to play out that system. 
And how do we actually build consent? We build consent through co-creation. How do we actually create the structures and the systems of education with families and educators and students alike, where everybody's expertise is really at the table? And so when we think about an open system, we think about organizations that are actually equipped to do that, that don't keep families and students and educators even at arm's length, that actually figure out ways to bring in their creative energy and build new systems with them. And those new systems can be many things. They can be grading policies. They can be curricular choices. They can be school discipline policies. They can be many things. The idea is that you need, if you want people to really commit to the change, they have to be involved in creating it. And that's, uh, I think that's fundamental to the nature of the open system. Okay. The reason for you getting into this topic and subject, I know you've got a background in education. So tell us a little bit about your background and what prompted you to write a book on this topic. Yeah, uh, I really appreciate that question because my my background spans a, a lot of different places, and and it's a, always a joy to be able to talk about it. So my parents came from from Vietnam in 1975, uh, right after the the war. My dad was a military pilot, and um, we came to the United States. And I wasn't born yet, but my family, their introduction into the states was really typified by my uncle's experience and. He came in, he was about 17 years old, learning the language, trying to fit in, trying to understand his place in the system. And it was a really hard time for him. And I think I've talked to him a number of times about this and it was really, the system wasn't ready to understand who he was as a person and what he was bringing and what he needed. Uh, they were just trying to fit him into a box. And, and that's been a really traumatic thing for him uh, his whole life. And, and Landon has a really similar experience. Family members in his past, you know, came to the United States and they they eschewed their linguistic legacy uh, and said, you know what, we're only going to speak English around our children and because that's going to help them succeed in the school system. And And both of us have that kind of fundamental belief that when we try to, or when we find ourselves not responsive to the real people and their complexity in front of us, that that will uh, that undermines our ability to really serve them and support them to flourish. And so we both, uh, Landon and I, met in graduate school and and went off and did uh, work in districts. I worked for Boston Public Schools, where I led the academics division, and he went to work in the uh, family and engagement space. And we both found that we were trying to do similar work together, uh, or not together, but in separate places, but in really similar ways. We were trying to do work with stakeholders, with communities, uh, rather than just in the central office space. And that led us to develop the idea of an open system that's in intentionally responsive to the communities that they're in. We brought together a group of uh, innovators and leaders and organizers from across the country 
And they helped us really develop this idea and these sets of principles that became the foundation of the book. One of the premises of the book, if I understood some of the material that you sent, is that um, the schools are failing. In what way are the schools failing? Um, and well, let me have you just go with that for now. Yeah, sure. Um, well, you know, in, in one sense, we can look at actually the broad feeling about public institutions in general. Fundamentally, the trust in public institutions is at an all-time low. And that's particularly true of our public institutions. There's no longer a sense of consensus uh, that schools are there to advance opportunity uh, for all young people. And that was never really the case, especially for some of our most marginalized youth and families and populations. But it's certainly less clear now that public in, the public school system is preparing our young people for a very complex and emergent future. And you can see this in both student satisfaction, family satisfaction, declining enrollment, student disengagement, increases in discipline. And then fundamentally, you can see it in a lot of the results that we see in terms of student achievement. Uh, and that's right now we are at a crisis moment because we've tried for a long time to implement a change system in education that has been very expert driven. Like we're going to put in place a system of standards and a system of assessments and a system of accountability that's going to hold you accountable to doing the right thing. And the voices of communities have not really been a part of that. And so we, we want to just pause and take a look and know that some of the things that have happened over the past 30 years have been really beneficial, have really driven, uh, you know, broad scale changes. And yet some of it is still falling short of the aims and aspirations of a democratic, you know, pluralistic, uh, future focused workforce and families and communities. How do you um, rebuild that trust and you talked about low trust in the public institutions, but is it really any higher in the private institutions that are profit-driven? Mm. Oh, what a, what a, it's a really pro, uh, powerful question that you're asking there, Craig. And, you know, I think public institutions have uh, really, for a long time, said this is you trust us you know we we know what we are doing and for in some ways they were right uh, they were being responsive to you know a structure and a system that hadn't changed in a long time that privileged certain people and now we we really are demanding of our public institutions much, much more attention to the inequities that our, our, our society is facing. And in order to actually design for those, for those inequities, we have to include the voices of people who experience that. 
who have been left out. They feel distrustful of the existing system. And it's not just their distrust. It is also the distrust of people who fear the direction that things are moving. There's so many forces that are skeptical of public institutions to really respond to the moment that we're in, to respond to the complexity of the of the challenges that we face. And the only way to do that, uh, the only way to rebuild that trust is to show how we are going to bring people together that may disagree and actually work together in these common spaces. And that's what we talk about in open systems is how do you create these spaces where people can come together and make good decisions, share knowledge, share empathy, uh, and and make some decisions that are going to make people's lives substantively better. Okay. The my co-host Spencer Graves here and myself, we've been big on the idea that education is the bedrock of, for lack of a better way of saying it, um, of supporting democracy and so in what ways will uh, open system make education more responsive to supporting democracy oh. democracy building is one of our our favorite things to think about craig and i appreciate you bringing it up you know the reality is is that for many kids my own kids included i have a middle schooler and an elementary schooler and for many families the very first place they engage with public systems substantively and democratic processes are actually within their schools and their districts and landon i have a professor um, in grad school who is really famous for saying task predicts performance which is another way of saying what you do predicts what you will be good at. And so when we think about the kind of democratic life that we are modeling for young people and for families, they're seeing it in schools. So are we including them in the democratic process of governing our schools and our districts? Or are we showing them that like the those with power and those with influence and authority are gonna make decisions absent their their point of view and so we just need to ask ourselves what kind of democratic life are we apprenticing our young people and our families into and open systems points the way towards a different way of thinking about that um, how can we actually show and model and practice a different kind of democracy in the way that we run our schools districts and state education systems what role does language play in creating an open system? Well, even fundamentally, the word open is uh, we were very <laughs> thoughtful, hopefully, uh, about thinking about the even the word open. It, it actually harkens back to a very deep, deep uh, Indo-European root that has a lot of resonance across many languages which is beyond just uh, spaciousness, but really receptiveness. And, and so when we think about an open system, taking that orientation of being open, 
is is meaningful that it means that a system is receptive and engaging with the insights and expertise and lived experience of the people around it so first just even embracing the open concept is is one we think is is quite powerful and then when with language we we are language you know engages and predicts a lot of the kind of mental models that people bring right so if people think about community engagement they're thinking about ways to engage and and touch people you know like and and share things with them but that's different than co-creation fundamentally and when we think about an open system we think about a space where people are able to create together do work side by side uh, and so we do think that some of those language choices really do matter and i appreciate you asking that okay. um can the system be too open is there a possibility that parents can be over empowered and take control that you wouldn't want them to control in the school Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, this is an important question to ask right now, Craig. Like we've got, uh, we have a surge in parent power um, that we haven't seen in, in a long time. And what I, I was just on uh, a call with the superintendent today, and I told him this, open leadership doesn't mean just doing whatever the community wants. It means right-sizing the relationships of power between us so that my experience as a leader as a, a superintendent and the experience of a parent become they get in more appropriate equilibrium to one another and i think open leadership is beyond just right-sizing power it is about creating a space where we can deliberate together because most of our structures and public systems right now are not designed for real deliberation. Public comment at a school board meeting is very one way. It's just the podium shouting at the board. There's not actually a space for making sense of what people say and engaging with it in a deeper way, in an empathetic way. And when we think about open leadership, we really think about it through that lens. Like how do we actually create these spaces where my opinion and your opinion can enter in and we can forge something that's greater than the sum of its parts? Okay. The, well, first of all, for, for those who have disjoined, um, we, you are listening to Radioactive Magazine and I am talking to Donnie Tran, who is a co-author of a book on education, and we're talking about the, some of the failings of education, why that is, and open versus closed systems to try to re solve some of those problems. Um, in your book, in chapter three, you talk about knowing the community. Tell yeah. us about that. Yeah, no, you know, community is such a, a slippery concept. And any of us who live in a place 
that has lots of neighborhoods and lots of streets and lots of different groups uh, that live within it understand how labeling anything as just one big community can be very reductive and can create monoliths where that's not an appropriate way to think about it. And so one of the things that we think about in knowing your community is understanding that complexity and diving into it and really seeing that there are so many uh, different aspects of our community and, and not shying away from that, but really embracing it. And then the other part of knowing your community is knowing where there are opportunities to do the kind of co-creation that we've been talking about, Craig. Like, where are those spaces? You got to understand where the kind of political, uh, the political energy is. There are some things where a community-driven process can be really successful. And then there are some things that are, you know, feel a little too radioactive to engage with. And that's, that's not being, um, that's not being overly cautious. Often it's being thoughtful uh, about where the community is at that time, but you have to make that determination through a deeper and multi-layered and complex understanding of who is in your community and what are their needs. And so that's a, that's a lot of what we talk about in, in that chapter. Um, what can administrators do to help maintain an open system? And let's go with that. Yeah, that's uh, such a great, uh, such a great question. I, I have a, I have a friend uh, named Will Ampong who is an engineer by by training, and he often thinks in the ways that we structure systems, right? Like we. We think about all the pieces and the components and where they where they go and and how they flow into each other. And uh, one of the things that I would recommend when we're thinking about an open system is, well, how do we how do we design for receptiveness to the community? The first thing we got to do is any for any school leader. So the principals out there, my hat is off to you because it's a tough, really tough job. Um, but you're impacting young people's lives every day. One of the things that you can consider is what are the ideas, the things that would really benefit from working with my community to create the solution. And not everything is going to fit in that. And what we call that is the open moment. It's the moment, the opportunity where I can be co-creative with my community. Maybe it is around grading. Maybe it is around um, gifted policy. Maybe it is around um, uh, things like discipline. It's really great for a leader who is trying to create and cultivate an open system, Craig, to think about, well, what are the opportunities to be open and co-creative? And so it sometimes can feel a little uh, not like Will was thinking about, like a system that always works and always goes in a certain direction at a certain time. It can be a little bit thoughtful and, and, and extemporaneous and, and improvisational. But think about all the places in your in your locus of control where co-creation could be possible. And so begin from there uh, and then start thinking about, well, how can I make in family engagement around a new policy decision 
or student engagement around new policy decision, how can I make that a habit? How can I make that just something that we do all the time? How can I create structures for that? Which is actually getting uh, to to more of what my engineer friend um, would be thinking about. How do I make something systematic? But sometimes you do begin with these kind of more narrow opportunities. We talked about briefly the trust factor between public versus private schools. But beyond that, do private schools, do they have the same problems? Are they failing in the same way that public schools are? And how open are their systems compared to the public? Well, I think you know we we are asking um, we're asking the question of can you reinvigorate our public life and our public institutions through the way that we conduct and lead our educational systems? And um, when we th- we like I noted before, I think m- for many people we have really engaged in the uh, the way that we administer our public systems in a way that is um, uh, closed to those to the stakeholders but with a public system you can open up those doors and you can bring in those voices and change the dynamic between you and the community I think the issue with private systems is that by many of their designs, not always, they are already trying to section themselves off from those the from populations. And so we have to ask ourselves like, well, they can be responsive, certainly. They can be open and responsive to their constituents. But the extent to which that is a demonstration of an open more open democratic system in the way that we hope public education will be that's a different question and so that's the the that's the way at least i I draw some of that distinction one of the recent issues uh, is come to limelight in a big way recently is this trend of some of the conservative and I refer to myself as right-wing, conservative right-wing areas and school districts that are banning books mm-hmm. of a variety of topics. How does, how would an open system help prevent that movement toward banning those books? Uh, so, yeah, this is something that we, we thought about a lot. Um, We've, we think that you may have seen that the majority of book bans have been promulgated by a very small subset of people. Something on the order, I mean, you know, if the interwebs are be, to be believed, 11 people are responsible for this enormous number of book bans across the country. For us, that's not, that's not the way that an open system functions. Uh, though we do believe in the democratic nature of 
of the way that schools should be organized and administered, which means engaging your local community in that question. So how do we how do we bring people together across a wide range of of beliefs and expertise and dig deep into what the research says about a rich body of media and and uh, and text for young people and the concern that people have and how do we actually bring all that together into a soup where we're talking about it deliberating on it and not just shouting at each other from across you know across a crowded room the the work of an open system is that idea of bringing people together in an unusual mix so that they can deliberate over a period of time and engage with the depth of the issues and make some decisions together in a consensus driven way which is really what we're we're talking about in the book like that process of deep deliberation um and inclusion okay and we'll be out of time in a couple minutes do you have some closing thoughts yeah, we. Um, I'm going to return to the, this idea that I think has really driven driven me for some time is that, you know, the research shows that people who own deeply the nature of the change are more likely to help support it, and that is true across whole communities and in, in an individual school. And the best way to get to that level of deep commitment is to build collective knowledge and understanding through the process of co-creation. And fundamentally, that's what open systems are about, is doing things together so that we can practice being in relationship to one another, so that we can model the kind of democracy that we want our young people to grow up in, because schools are a fundamental place where that happens. All right, we are out of time. And for those who've just joined us, I've been talking to... Donnie uh, Tran, who has been talking about a book that he wrote, who co-wrote on education and the open and closed systems and how we can make the system more open and more responsive to the community. So thank you, Donnie. Well, it's such a pleasure to be here, Craig. I thank you to you too, Spencer. All right, so Spencer's going to tell you what's on for next week. Uh, yeah, if I can add uh, just right quick, the book, the title of the book is The Open System, subtitled Redesigning Education and Reigniting Democracy. 